What's up, love doves? Coming at you. This is a rare midweek micro app, and I'm coming at you Wednesday night, Wednesday night in South Phoenix. It was a warm day today. March has hit, and it's been like boom, warmth instantly here in the desert. So happy March. March is one of my favorite months. I'd say March and April are tied for favorite months. And, uh, you know, if you guys have been doing any planting, you're going to start to see some sprouts. If you have any annuals, they're going to start coming out and everything is going to be in bloom. And I love it so much. I love the spring. I like the way my body feels in the spring. It always feels very rejuvenated. And I wish we had more fertility festivals in this day and age, but, you know, we have to make our own fertility festivals and that's what warehouse parties are for. You know what I'm saying? So, um, coming at you, this little uh, rare micro episode, I thought it was just too important to not put something out. Obviously, everyone's talking about the situation with uh, Russia and Ukraine, and I really thought it was important to put out a balancing viewpoint to balance what you were being propagandized so heavily with, which is one side of the, it's a propaganda war, and we're getting one side of the propaganda and it's very important to contextualize and understand where the other side is coming from in all things in life <laughs> literally all things in life it's really important to empathize and not just immediately point fingers and judge and yell and scream and we've been trained as americans for generations uh, through media movies tv all sorts of subliminal ways we have been trained to distrust the russians and view the russians as an enemy and I would argue it's like a carryover from the Cold War with the Soviets. And um, so, you know, there's things are written about Russia in the mainstream media that would be completely unacceptable if they were written about like another type of people, like just in terms of trope, tropes and what's essentially race, racism. You know what I mean? Yes, like Russia is a Caucasian country, but still to like slander an entire group of people, an entire nation is so insane. It's so massive. There's a lot of like indigenous uh, people that live in Russia, in Siberia. It has like really long, insane history. You know, it was the Russian Red Army that really defeated Hitler in World War II. The Russians uh, were the first military to stop, be able to stop the German tank division. I believe it was the pa Panzer Division. No other military had been able to stop the German tank division. As we know, Germans are really good at engineering and they're fucking hardcore. And imagine if you had a shit ton of German tanks coming at you. That's pretty intimidating. No other army was able to stop the tank division until the Russian Red Army. And they, they stopped them using very innovative techniques. They would log trees and place the felled trees in a path to force the tanks they were trees that were so massive that the tanks couldn't simply go over the trees and they discovered that the tanks one weakness was they're not very agile and so they would force the tanks to do these maneuvers around these felled uh felled trees and that is what also allowed them to then plant explosives and just slow down and anyways so i'm, I'm waxing poetic here but the russians lost 20 million people the soviets i should say lost 20 million people in world war ii and they're the ones that really defeated Hitler. Um, you know, they, they kind of, they did, the way I see it, they did about 80% of the work, including the most bloody, brutal work when Hitler was trying to invade, uh, invade and he wanted to take Stalingrad. And there was a really heroic stand by the entire Russian people in Stalingrad, including women, children, 
the anti-aircraft brigade was all women in Stalingrad and uh, Stalin, which I think this is really fucked up that he did this, but he ordered that the civilians not be able to leave Stalingrad because he knew that the, the, the soldiers would fight harder because they were protecting civilians, they were protecting their family. And they successfully did repel at great cost, at great suffering, they did repel the Germans from Stalingrad and eventually pushed the Germans back. The way I see it, the Soviet Red Army did about 80% of the work of defeating Hitler. And then, you know, I'm not knocking the other portion of that work. And certainly, you know, it was a Herculean effort by the United States. I'm not taking that away. But we have to recognize what the, the Russian Red Army did and sacrificed. They call it the Great Patriotic War in Russia. They don't call it World War II. And anyway, to just smear this entire group of people as like, untrustworthy or like the shifty Russian mind, you know, like the things that these neocon psychopaths will say and then their stenographers on MSNBC or whatever will just repeat. It's like, wait a minute, excuse me? Did you just talk about the Russian mind? <laughs> like, why, how is that even like, how are people taking this seriously at all? But again, we've been propagandized, really subliminal messaging all the time in media, basically getting us to distrust the Russians. So I want everyone I, I would encourage everybody to really take a moment and reflect and be like hmm what like deep-seated prejudices and stereotypes am I caring about Russia and you know the first casualty of war is truth and that's very important to remember the first casualty of war is the truth and war is uh, on all fronts including propaganda and so there's propaganda you know when, when you tune into CNN you're getting state TV that's state TV we in the US, we like to point at countries like China and be like, they're so autocratic. Look, they have state television. We also have state television. It's just our state television uh, puts on a face as though there's actually like some sort of conflict or dichotomy, you know, there's the CNN Fox News dichotomy, but they're just two sides of the empire's state television and they're brainwashing the American people. And so um, I recorded this segment uh, about the situation just to give a, a more context, some very important history, including recent history, including the U.S.-backed coup d'etat of a democratically elected Ukrainian leader in 2014 that kind of gave rise to this, and the slaughter of Russian-speaking individuals in the Donbass region, 15,000 dead over the past eight years. Uh, at the hands of the Ukrainian military. I get into this, into the segment, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But um, anyway, I just, so the reason why I'm so like passionate about this is because it's reminding me a lot of the Iraq war. And I felt like this voice in the wilderness just being like, before we even officially went to war, I was like telling everyone like, dude, we're going to go to war. Like we're, we're putting like troops on the border and stuff like that. They're telling us we're going to go to war. And I remember people in my family were like, no, no, they're still pursuing diplomatic solutions. And it's like, no, dude, they're going to go to war. Like you read the Stars and Stripes paper and it's like preparing for war. And then you read the New York Times and it's like diplomat dip diplomacy being pursued. Anyways, that was... You know, I saw what happened when the American people just like blindly get behind a war cause, like the drums of war, and it was very scary to me and all the Islamophobia that went along with it and just the us versus them thinking. And I just, I see that now developing with this us versus them with Russia and making Putin like the, the crazy, unhinged, you know, uh, villain. And do I think Putin is a great guy? No. <laughs> 
but I honestly don't. I mean, he's he's autocratic, obviously, and he's an ex-KGB. So you know, do I want to like invite him over for tea? No, but does he have reasons for doing this? Absolutely, he does. Absolutely, and he was has been warning for the past eight years that look, if you keep on trying to expand NATO up to my borders, uh, it's not gonna. We're not gonna let it happen, and. What's truly tragic about the situation is that it serves the West, it serves the Biden administration, it serves NATO, and it serves the military industrial complex. It's like a gift to them because now they have a new enemy. Now they can, you know, get all these even more appropriations from the Senate, although they already get all the fucking money in the world that they want. But there's been, you know, a lot of, uh, provocation, U.S.-backed provocation of Putin and Russia before this. And, you know, now it's like they're literally in the in Ukraine. The Zelensky government is like handing out assault rifles to anyone with two hands in, in the streets of Kiev. And I just I see a very dangerous and unpleasant situation unfolding. And I just want to do my part to try to, like, inject some common sense, empathy, context historical context so incredibly important and so thank you uh for listening and i'm gonna go ahead and run this segment that i was gonna squeeze into the last episode but the last episode was already three hours and it was about something completely different and it just didn't really fit so i decided to do this little micro episode instead i love you guys thank you so much all my listeners you all are amazing thank you for the feedback and the love and the uh i just really appreciate you guys so Good vibes coming at you from a very beautiful, sort of like wispy clouds in the sky, uh, Wednesday evening here in South Phoenix. And I hope wherever you are in the rabbit holes of space and time, you get a little dose of of positivity and good vibes. And here we go, uh, the segment about the Ukraine situation and the historical context behind it coming up. And I'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Absolutely So before we get into this episode, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't at least acknowledge what is going on right now with the situation with uh, Ukraine and Russia. And I obviously this episode is not about that, and I'll probably be touching on this more in future episodes. But I did just want to um, offer an alternative viewpoint to what you may be reading in the mainstream legacy media. 
Um, as always, you're only getting one side of the story when you read the legacy media. It's essentially state TV in the United States. So you don't want to let yourself be propagandized too heavily. So it's important to look at it from the other perspective. And obviously, you know, both sides have propaganda. So I'm not saying like you can just, you know, listen to a, a speech by the Putin's foreign ministry spokeswoman, although she is quite charismatic. And I really enjoy when she gets interviewed by like hostile Western people because she does a really good job of breaking people down. But if you just take what she is saying at, at face value, that's also foolish because that's their propaganda. But I do want to just offer a little bit more context than what you're hearing. So the there are these two breakaway regions in the far east of Ukraine, and it's referred to as the Donbass region, and they are the Donetsk and Luhansk, and I'm probably fucking up the pronunciation, but the Donetsk and the Luhansk regions of Ukraine. And these regions, basically in 2014, there was a US-backed coup d'etat that uh, took out a president who was going to be friendly with Russia because the West can't have that. And they installed a president who was going to be hostile towards Russia and a puppet to the West. And so that's what Zelensky was. And so Ukraine is almost like a neo-colony at this point. It very much answers to the United States and to NATO. And there's even footage uh, or a leaked audio of um, someone in the State Department uh, Newland, Victoria Newland. There's leaked audio of her basically on uh, just informing, basically deciding with another State Department person like who is going to be the next president of the Ukraine. And it's very revealing because it shows how much they are basically like a puppet to the United States. So in 2014, there was this US-backed coup d'etat and these two breakaway regions, Donetsk and Luhansk, refused to recognize the coup government. And uh, it's just very different culturally there. They still, they they still resonate more with like the Soviet Union and the ideas, you know, of of, uh, of the the socialist like ideas of the Soviet Union. And they're more on that. They speak Russian, and they more they they kind of like culturally they're more aligned with Russia. And so they're just and they they, they didn't acknowledge the coup government. So basically, there's been a low-boiling civil war, civil conflict in the Ukraine for the past eight years, where the Ukrainian military has been shelling and attacking the people of Donetsk and Luhansk. And I just want to give a little bit of statistics about that, because people don't realize, like, you know, anytime that there's civilians that die in war, it's it's a fucking tragedy, and it shouldn't be happening. So obviously, you know, it, war is terrible, and there's all, anytime there's civilian casualties, it's, it's awful. But I want to just point out that what's been happening in these two regions that hasn't gotten any attention. So the Donbass war death toll rises up to nearly 13,000. And this is from uh, January 22nd of 2019. From April 2014 to the end of 2018, some 12,800 to 13,000 people were killed in Donbass hostilities, according to the UN Monitoring Mission on Human Rights. Sorry about that. My neighbor's like blasting uh, mariachi music right now. So if you can hear it, that's that's what that is. <laughs> so of these 13,000 people killed in this conflict, 3,300 of them were civilians and another 27,000 to 30,000 people were wounded. So this has been a real like genuine conflict. And what the um, the Russian foreign ministry spokeswoman is saying is that this was an action to end this conflict. and 
why was the West not paying attention to the civilians dying in this conflict? We all know the reason is because it didn't have any geopolitical usefulness, uh, whereas vilifying Russia always has geopolitical usefulness. So what happened a couple weeks ago is that Putin recognized these two breakaway regions as independent. And when he did that, that sort of set the stage for what is happening now. And the other thing that people have to realize is that there is a lot of the Ukrainian military is infiltrated with a lot of really far right nationalist forces, including some actual neo-Nazis. And I'm not being hyperbolic. They're actually neo-Nazis. The Azov battalion is integrated into the Ukrainian National Guard and they straight up like identify with Nazism. So, you know, this idea that Ukraine is just this like totally angelic actor who's just a total victim of Russian hostility, it's way more complicated than that. And if, if, you, if you're just throwing up all your support for Ukraine right now, you're also supporting these neo-Nazi, this, this, this neo-Nazi battalion, the Azov battalion, and then all the other far-right forces that are integrated into the military. And Putin himself said he was, this mission is to denazify the Ukraine. Again, you can't take that at face value either because it's a propaganda war but it's important to kind of have a slightly uh, you have to contextualize stuff and you have to have a, a broader idea than just what the mainstream media is telling you right now because it's incredibly shallow and um and slanted so i just wanted to say that really quick won't you please support the bmp and help me stay on the air it would be much appreciated you can hop over to patreon.com slash noetics and sign up at any tier. You receive perks like a dream interpretation, and you also gain access to bonus content when you sign up. So that's patreon.com slash noetics, or you can make a one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com slash noetics. And I want to thank everybody for spreading the word and telling a friend about the BMP. It's how we're going to expand our tribe of philosopher barbarians, and it's how we're going to get me in that mobile BMP studio on the shores of Lake Managua. I can feel it in my bones, people. So thank you for sending me there, and don't worry, I'm going to be I'm going to be even more productive on the shores of Lake Managua. I'll probably have even more content for you guys because by then I will be having enough money will be coming in so I can support myself full time from the show and I can give you guys even more content, more information, more thought provoking topics. So thank you for helping to make that dream a reality. I love you guys. Thank you.